Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep Podcast. I'm Dr. Yishan, a licensed clinical psychologist, board-certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist, and adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford School of Medicine. If you have any concerns about your own cardiovascular health, one thing you should definitely ask your doctor is sleep. Do you know if you can improve your sleep quality and quantity? Your cardiovascular health can be improved as well. Let's hear what the expert says. Today, our guest is Dr. Reba Matthew. She is an associate professor at UT Health at Houston. She is also the director of the UT Pulmonary and Sleep Clinics and co-director of the Memorial Hermann TMC Sleep Disorders Center. We will discuss the relationship between sleep and heart health. Don't walk away. We'll be right back. Do you struggle with falling asleep at night? After waking up, are you so sleepy that you cannot focus? Are you tired of drinking coffee all day long? Are you worried how your poor sleep may harm your health? CBTI method is an evidence-based first-line treatment for insomnia. If you have insomnia, I'm sure CBTI can help you. Even just sleep better for several nights. It could be such a transforming experience for you. I have had so much success with my CBTI insomnia treatment course over the years. So check it out here at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Hello, Dr. Matthew. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, Dr. Zhu. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure to join you. Very happy to have you because I know your background is in the field of、uh, pulmonary and critical care, which I think is a very important topic, and a lot of people may not know how sleep may be related to、um, our health and in that direction. So yes, my, so my field is I'm a I'm a physician trained in pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. So. So I see both sides of it. I see the ambulatory side of it, what I'm assessing. You know, patients who are referred by you know other specialties, maybe cardiologists, endocrinologists, or you know, come in from the hospital after discharge because the nurses and doctors saw something concerning, or self-referral of family. Sometimes it's the wife who heard them snore really loud and、um, saw them stop breathing. So different ways of them coming in, right? So I see them in the ambulatory side, and I see. The impact of you know recognizing the disease and talking them through it and educating them, getting the testing done and treating if it's if it's sleep apnea,、um, you know, moving into the treatment arm for that. If it's just just a common sense discussion on making sure that they sleep adequately, whether it's insomnia, addressing that part of it, regardless of what we are focusing on, just the impact that the patients. Impact on their lives and the benefit that the patients feel. So I see that end of it, and then sadly I also see the other end of it because I'm in the you know I've spent a lot of time in the ICU. We see patients who have had untreated sleep apnea, for example, for years. It's just gone undiagnosed,、um, either because of finances or they just didn't connect the dots, or maybe family you know didn't really think much of it. And they come in late, and then they end up in the hospital with heart failure after a heart attack, for example, or a stroke. And then that's just the that just says a lot about just the importance of getting the education out there. So I see, I see that end of it as well. And then, of course, all,、um, what we try to do is just try to like just kind of try to 
you know, pick up from there and make sure that they are plugged into sleep clinics and pulmonary clinics and um, to just get treatment going for that. So, yes, so my I think my field especially gives me a lot of perspective into how optimal it is if, if it's done right. But then we also catch the outcome end of it. But then it's not too late if they're still alive. I mean, we can still work on them um, and then help them get better. So um, I'm thankful for that perspective. I think it's it's humbling. Yeah, that's amazing that you can see these two ends of it. Uh, I remember years ago, when I just started learning uh, this behavioral sleep medicine field, and I I just learned from other doctors from the book that, oh, if you have uh, some kind of sleep disorders like sleep apnea, then it may impact the heart, right? And back then, that was some words on the book. But I remember I used to saw a patient, not for sleep issues, it's for mental health issues. She shared her personal story with me that she has heart disease. And until when she was um, in surgery, the surgeon, somehow the medical team, then find out she has undiagnosed and treated sleep apnea for years, which may contribute or related to this heart disease. And her heart disease was severe enough that need a severe like uh, surgery intervention. So I think back then that made the wording from the textbook to really uh, significant to me that when I hear that real life story. So that was really shocked to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then when we do see patients in clinic and you know we're going over the results of their sleep study, on every patient, I make it a point to show them the results, you know, like the graphic data where I can actually show them how the oxygen went down and how the events, the sleep apnea events, which are typically 10 seconds or longer. We don't even score it on the study if it's less than 10 seconds. 10 seconds is a long time. And again, it's 10 plus, right? I mean, so sometimes it's 15 seconds, sometimes it's 20 seconds of pretty much no breathing or really shallow breathing. Oxygen's going down at the end of it to sometimes pretty dangerously low levels. I mean, sometimes it drops to the 80s, sometimes 70s, 60s, 50s. So it just depends on the body habitus sometimes and their other intrinsic, um, let's say, lung disease. That itself is a trigger for um, it causes the blood pressure to go up. It causes the heart rate to go up. And so the 10 doesn't continue forever, right? Because if we didn't breathe, then, well, then we would die. So, but then that's our body's defense of trying to wake us up. So at the end of those, that long event, for example, there's what we call as an arousal. So the arousal is a protective mechanism, meaning the brains realize that, well, I just didn't breathe for a really long time. My carbon dioxide's going up, oxygen's low. I need to wake up. So when we see the study, the sleep study, we are looking at a change in the EEG, which is the brainwave pattern. And we see there's the brain's woken up, but then the patient's not realizing it. So that arousal sort of, you know, wakes the patient up and the patient's, well, senses something is wrong. He's not aware of it. He or she is not aware of it. And then they wake up after that event and then the airway, the throat opens up and they start breathing again. But the downside to that arousal, and again, this is happening in severe sleep apnea, for example, it's happening hundreds of times a night. So that pause in the, in the breathing, the oxygen low state, and the arousal is happening. Like, let's say a couple of severe sleep apnea patients I saw last week, it's happening hundreds of times at night. 
that's a lot of stress for the body. And so it feeds directly into everything that increases risk for um, cardiovascular disease. Well, number one, there's an increase in, um, I mentioned the heart rate and the uh, pulse rate going up. So that's a sign of the sympathetic activity. So like our stress hormones are going up with those events. So the the heightened sympathetic surge is what we call it. That feeds into that um, risk factor pathway. Inflammation is a big trigger for um, atherosclerosis, which is like plaque being laid on the inside of our blood vessels that leads to you know, heart disease and stroke and obstructed vessels in general. Those are the, the two biggest factors. The inflammation that ha- happens from the frequent interruptions to sleep and uh, the low oxygen states, high carbon dioxide states, all of which feed directly into the um, into the pathway towards cardiovascular disease. And I mean, I'm talking about heart attacks, heart failure, new heart failure, newly diagnosed heart failure, worsening of existing heart failure, stroke, atrial fibrillation, which is, you know, like one of those bad heart rhythms. And as, as scary as it is, when I talk to patients, if it's severe, I do educate them about the risk of, especially with severe sleep apnea, not mild, maybe not even moderate, severe sleep apnea, there's a risk of sudden cardiac death. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's extremely important to, I mean, I'm okay with over-educating. I mean, I am okay with we, if we are, you know, calling it calling it out, maybe getting the cardiologist to be more aware. And there's a lot of awareness even among the cardiologists, the endocrinologists, the renal doctors, primary care physicians. I mean, it's so much different now than it was 10 years back. So just the level of education, not just among patients, but amongst our consultants, you know, like the family medicine physicians and internal medicine physicians, the awareness of the need for sleep is just uh, spreading. And thankfully, uh, before I pause, the AHA, the American Heart Association, you know, they changed. Their messaging changed. So they went from 2010, it was a list of seven things on their checklist. In 2022, they made it eight. And guess what they added? They added sleep. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So wow. they call it um, eight life's essentials, which is like if, if you know, if you sometime when you have some time, go into the HA website and there was a lot of announcements. It came from the president of the American Heart Association. Well, previously it was smoking and diet and exercise and high blood pressure and high glucose levels, which is diabetes, high cholesterol. So it was all of that. Right. So now they went from seven to eight, which is sleep. We got up to my sleep. Oh, yeah. Wow. I really feel like when you talk about that, I think it's become more and more clear how important sleep is from multiple directions, right? We, I think general public, in general, we just think, oh, we, we should try to sleep well. It's just everyone talk about it. But rarely we realize sleep disorders, a certain sleep disorders can like, be related to all these severe uh, health conditions. And uh, if when we treat those health or mental conditions, we can go back to really evaluate sleep. And sometimes treating sleep can really help people to recover better or maintain a healthier condition. But a lot of time, I think 
in in different field, I know sleep is is something got ignored often. I'm happy to hear this um heart association really start recognizing it, but we still have a long way to go. How about other other associations, right? Even within the mental health field, when I start learning this, no, still right now, like almost no one else really takes sleep seriously. When we diagnose ADHD, when we do all these psychological testings, no one really bother to ask about sleep. Yeah. Yes, I mean, uh, great point, Dr. Zhou. So, um, yeah, so I think the AHA, which is, a, you know, I mean, that's like the the cardiac organization for the country. I mean, they set the president for ACLS and, you know, like just um, um, resuscitation and everything. So they set the tone for a lot of the heart-related conversations, right? So them making that distinction based on a lot of research in the last decade was a big step. And I 100% agree with you. I think the, um, hopefully the other organizations, you know, um, they, they need to pick up from there. So whatever the AHA did, right? I mean, just educating the public and announcing it in a big way that, well, this is one of life's essentials to improve your health and to not end up in that bucket where you're stuck with cardiac disease and you're suffering. So yes, I, I 100% agree. Mental health, especially, I'm glad you bring that up. Sleep um, association with mood disorders, you know, uh, it's association with anxiety and depression. Um, so psych disorders and sleep are intricately linked. There's no way to treat one without optimizing the other. So when when you see patients in clinic with um, coexisting psychiatric disorders, I mean, we tell them it's a conversation between us, um, the patient and the psychiatry provider, because it's impossible to treat them separately. You have to treat them together. So sleep is absolutely essential for that. So I think I 100% agree. I think organizations, um, I think the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, for example, and I think they do a great job spreading the word out. A lot of the pulmonary organizations, because sleep is so integral um, to just what subjects are about, I think they do a fairly good job. But everybody else needs to take a leaf from what the AHA did and then just spread that word. So yeah, the association with, with mood disorders is absolutely important. Making sure they sleep right, which includes duration, at least seven hours of sleep, hopefully closer to eight. The AHA actually says seven to nine, meaning if you're sleepy and you're having problems with eight hours of sleep, maybe try increasing by 30 minutes and see if you feel the benefit. Consistency is important. So don't do different bedtime and wake up time schedules on different days, including the weekends, as much as it hurts. And that's I'm preaching to myself as I'm talking to talking about this, because it is tempting to live different lives on the weekends, right? When you're off and you know, you, you go out and there's family um, obligations and things like that. But consistency and regularity in our sleep schedule is important. Because there's a whole lot of data that's coming out in terms of the contribution of circadian rhythm um, changes that can um, that is associated if not done right that is associated with negative um, cardiovascular outcomes and even higher risk of malignancy and things like that for example shift workers um, let's say the night shift workers nurses especially they and doctors and respiratory therapists there's a lot of shift work in other industry sectors as well, like entertainment and, you know, cops, fire stations. I mean, they're all, there's a, there's a whole 20% of America is involved in shift work. 
So us flipping our circadian rhythm, we are naturally made to sleep at night and work during the day. When we flip that, that's insulting to the body. That's an assault on our body. And that, again, it's inflammatory. Uh, the sympathetic surge in our body increases, and that feeds into the risk factors for cardiovascular disease as well. And then I mentioned malignancy. That's a conversation for later. So the regularity and the consistency that you would practice for sleep is important. So duration, consistency is important. And then, um, um, as you mentioned earlier, even if the duration is fine, and maybe if you have symptoms of sleep disorders, like you said, OSA is one big example. Sleep apnea is one big example. Well, you're sleeping eight hours, but it's interrupted with hundreds of these events, well, then that's not effective sleep. You're getting the effective, like a cumulative sleep of four to five hours maybe. And then that's that comes with its own effects of the low oxygen and uh, high heart rate and high blood pressure, like I talked about, that becomes risk factors for heart disease. So what happens during sleep, the interruptions, the disruption of the sleep architecture, all of that matter. So I think sleep in general, I mean, like we spend a third of our life sleeping. The way I tell patients is start with your sleep. So don't let your day activities and your obligations and chores, the project that needs to be submitted tomorrow, you know, whether it's a test or just an annoying meeting with your boss. Well, you can't let that compromise sleep. You you start out protecting sleep. So protect those eight hours. And then whatever doesn't get done that day, unfortunately, we'll have to wait till tomorrow. Because if you don't protect your sleep, we'll be paying the consequences a few months, years later. So I think it's it's sometimes like it's like turning the switch on. And then when they see it that way, I think they are they are more willing and they engage, especially showing them data and showing them there's a lot of scientific literature that support that and the need to protect your sleep. I think that speaks a lot to the patients. So start with protecting your sleep. And then all of the day's activities should be arranged in a way, but only after protecting your sleep. So I think I think if we have that mentality, I think it's a lot more because otherwise sleep becomes one of the first things you compromise, depending on, you know, the things you need to do, whether it's studying or, you know, school and kids and family obligations and travel and entertainment. I mean, there's a lot of competing interests, right? So, but but we got to protect sleep. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like in our field, we really emphasizing that, but, you know, in general public, people don't really think this way. A lot of time we just like, oh yeah, 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 we know sleep is important, but still sleep always the first thing to go. And even in yes. some the providers, I know in other countries uh, that sleep science is less developed, like in China where I grew up. Now, now year is possibly better, but I still heard a lot of stories that doctors, especially psychiatrists there think all oh, anxiety, depression, mental disorders is the primary cause. That's why you have uh, insomnia or you cannot sleep well or you lose sleep. So let's, we have to treat those things first and then hopefully sleep can get better. So it's totally the, the opposite direction. It's hard to educate all the providers and the people to understand. It's sometimes the other way around or actually it's interact with each other uh, differently. Yes, it's funny you say that because I think for as long as I knew, I remember my grandmother telling me that you sleep way too much. I only managed 
my entire life with five hours of sleep. And then I remember my teachers telling me that in school, I grew up in India as well. So yes, you mentioned cultural factors. I think it's it's important to, you know, be sensitive to that, but also break into the myths that, you know, um, have their origin and just cultural factors. So I think there's a lot of that as well. But yes, there's nothing like five hours of sleep is, is all you need. I think uh, when I think that the older generation, I think they said that a lot. I remember a lot of my teachers and, you know, just going in school. Well, I managed with four to five hours of sleep. Unfortunately, data doesn't support that. There's a lot of science and there's a lot of literature to back up that. I think we need to move away from that. So I think it's it's important to be um, cognizant of the background that patients come from and then like just kind of talk to them and help them understand. And data doesn't lie. I mean, there's a lot of evidence uh, speaking about sleep deprivation from just the harms of insufficient sleep. So I think it's just uh, breaking, I guess, some of the the obstacles and cultural factors is one of them. Um, and just speaking to the cognition. Patients are intelligent. They will get it. We just need to engage with them. So 100%. Yes, I, I think a lot of Asia does that. I, I remember clearly multiple conversations with my teachers about how um, sleep is overrated. And there's nothing like that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think you you raised such an important topic. And when you mentioned the insufficient sleep, I think that because it's a sometimes it's a personal choice. It's because of work ethic, your own like perfectionism, or you know, uh, I I live in Silicon Bay, uh, Silicon Valley Bay Area. So here, a lot of engineers, they are very anxious about either losing job or anxious that they gonna go behind other people. They want to really study and learn and work all the time. And often they end up with, um, they, you know, cannot get enough sleep and keep on going, going, and eventually all different problems uh, come after that. So I think that's, uh, I remember now years, right? The data shows 30 years ago versus now, we on average, we sleep less and less, which is horrible. I don't think naturally, biologically, we need less sleep. It just somehow we behaviorally, we choose to sleep less. Yeah, um, we are definitely sleeping much less than, like you said, I mean, 50 years ago, like a century ago, people slept a whole almost two hours more than we are sleeping right now. I think the average American sleeps only for six and a half hours. They might try to sleep in on the weekend, but even that catch-up sleep, well, it's better than not even trying to catch up, but even the catch-up sleep does not restore us back to where we should be. And it's cumulative. It accumulates that sleep debt from not sleeping adequately. It it accumulates. Then, And then make no mistake, it's it doesn't have to be as dramatic as, uh, you know, sleep apnea with the oxygen issues and the arousals and the interruption to sleep. Just not sleeping enough itself is a risk factor for uh, cardiovascular poor cardiovascular outcomes. I mean, the same things that happen during um, uh, sleep apnea happen on a lower level, but um, absolutely important level, uh, even with insufficient sleep. There's been quite a bit of literature on that in terms of the association of inadequate sleep and cardiac cardiac outcomes on the the extent of plaque buildup, it's just with insufficient sleep. So all the blood vessels that supply our heart and our organs, 
this excessive uh, plaque buildup, what we call as atherosclerosis, just from not sleeping enough. So it's it's no joke. And again, like that's why I said, I think any any opportunity that you have to, which again, I'm so impressed with the work you do, just spreading the word about the importance of sleep, I think is important because it's not just about feeling better during the day, which that is important because insufficient sleep has other prob- comes with other problems too as well, right? Drowsy driving, getting into wrecks, making errors at work, not functioning to the best of your ability, um, co- cognitive um, effects, mental health issues. And those are all important. Those are all day-to-day effects. But these accumulate towards the future and cardiovascular disease shows up before we know it. I mean, before this is this is independent of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, smoking, family history, high cholesterol, independent of these factors. So when the studies were done, they controlled for all these factors, meaning independent of that, not having enough sleep or insufficient sleep itself was a risk factor towards poorer glucose control towards hypertension, towards heart disease, including heart attacks, heart failure. And, and again, sleep is treated lightly. And again, you know, a lot of lot of us are professionals and work is important. The need to do well at work and um, we get a lot of joy from our uh, respective professions. Uh, we love our families, but family obligations can be a lot. I mean, kids and chores and things. But I think sleep just falls by the wayside. I mean, even in my case, I have to be intentional. So I tell my patients that I have to be intentional. I mean, it's, well, if I just let the day take its course, well, then it'll just keep going and my sleep suffers. So I have to be intentional and say, well, this is it. I need to get to bed at this time and I need to protect my sleep, whatever I can accomplish outside of those eight hours, so be it. I am a better person as a human. I'm a more efficient person if I can start out by protecting my sleep first. And then um, I think that productivity will um, will show for itself. And not to mention, I think I am. it will have a role in protecting your cardiovascular health for the future. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's a great way of thinking and a great way of uh, taking actions. At the same time, hopefully, whoever listening, right, uh, could judge themselves less. So want to sleep more, want to rest well, does not mean you are lazy. And it's actually you are responsible for your own health, for your own productivity, for actually for your performance, everything. Sleep better lead to all those um, more like positive outcomes actually absolutely yes i think even my kids can tell if i didn't if, if there's some, something happened to my sleep i'm a worse <laughs> person during the day <laughs> i'm irritated and i'm annoyed and i'm completely useless so i mean i think even the day-to-day factors matter but then again i gotta keep myself alive for them for a while right so i think um I think it's for their benefit as well that I do everything I can to protect my sleep. And then I think it's 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 easy to talk to patients. I think when, you know, tell them what you would tell yourself or your loved ones, right? So I don't tell them anything right. different. It's it's what I would tell my spouse or my children that I would tell them. I mean, and then uh, that reminds me, children's sleep, super important. Mm-hmm. And the recommendations are different based on the age, uh, age group. And I think... Um, 
the pediatricians um, do a great job educating the parents and counseling the parent, pa uh, parents on the need for sleep, depending on their age groups, because even 17, 18 year olds, the, there were seven to eight hours. No, for them, it is eight, eight to, closer to nine hours. They need closer to nine hours of sleep, like the 17 and 18 year olds. So it's it's different for them. So the requirement for teenagers is different than um than it is for adults. The requirement for middle schoolers is different. I mean, it's closer to ten to eleven hours of sleep for middle schoolers, for example. Um, elementary schools a different uh, duration. So seven to eight hours is it's for adults, but kids need more sleep because it affects their immunity, uh, just like it does in adults. It affects their growth. Growth happens during sleep. So I think those are important. I mean, like, again, I'm, all of us have um, families and full lives. So, you know, whatever uh, you and I are speaking about, Dr. Shu, I mean, like the first thing that comes to mind is like, of course, our own, you know, families and children and all of that and our um, friends and their children. So it applies to today's kids or tomorrow's adults. We are protecting yeah. their cardiac health as well. Risk of obesity is higher. Risk of mental health is higher in children if they don't sleep, uh, not to mention just performance in school and their own productivity. So I think that's good, important to keep in mind, not just protect ourselves, but then start early and start with the start doing the right things for the children. Consistent bedtimes and can the effects of unnecessary light right before bed. I mean, just hygiene, sleep hygiene, as we call it. I think just optimizing all of that during childhood and teenage years, and then those habits stay. And, um, you know, those those are good habits to build early on. So um, so, so just working on our children as well, I think, is, is important because I think once those habits are set, I think it's difficult to uh, break them and rewire them. Yeah, yeah. So sounds like kind of like a plant, a seed for them early on. And hopefully Absolutely. the seed of sleep right and can slowly grow and eventually help uh this person to thrive as they grow up and become adult become parent and just continue this this uh positive journey yes sleep can't say enough about it i think my entire um working life i think is um i do a lot of pulmonary critical care but i love sleep and i so rewarding and gratifying to see patients do well when you you know when there's been an intervention depending on the kind of intervention it's different for different sleep disorders and then you see them sleep better their, their faces look different I think you know like they ended up in the hospital a lot less the family lives are moving in the right direction it is just extremely gratifying to see those changes but but again, like I, I said before, and I, I'm, I am going to repeat it, we have to be intentional because it is so easy to get caught up in uh, the, the Western lifestyle, right? I mean, it's like everything is work, work, work and do more. And then, you know, doing more and sleeping less equates to success. No, I think we've got to take a step back, just kind of change perspective a little bit. Yes, we'll do as much as we can during the day and try to improve our efficiency to help ourselves and others around us but we gotta start with sleep yes i really admire the work you do too i think that's very important and to help educate a lot of um, patients family members and also help passing the message to other providers 
amazing and important work and sounds like very rewarding as well and also very meaningful work. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew, for taking the time to uh, help us spread the word to the public. Yes, absolutely. It was my pleasure being here, Dr. Zhu. All right. I think we are mutual admirers already, huh? So this is my conversation with Dr. Matthew. After listening to it, what do you think about heart health and sleep? If you have anything you want to share about this topic, please feel free to leave me a message. You can either write a review in the Apple podcast, or you can leave a review on my website at deepintosleep.co. Thank you very much for listening. If you like my podcast, please consider leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcast. This can help more people find my podcast. I really appreciate your support. So I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.